first of all, I want to ask all of you how you got involved with CBLPI. So after I interned at my local county's Republican committee, I was having lunch with my mentor, and she suggested that I attend a, a conference hosted by Claire Booth Lewis Policy Institute that gears itself towards uh, conservative women students. And I was immediately interested because I used to be a huge uh, William Buckley fan in high school, and I recognized uh, the name Claire Booth Luce because she was one of his colleagues. And so I attended the conference in Minneapolis. I fell in love with the organization, and I was a fellow for the institute the summer after my freshman year in college. And I'm so glad that I did because otherwise, I don't think I would have been a conservative leader uh, at my university. So I currently serve as president of the College Republicans at Georgetown, and the chapter has had a really great relationship with the Lewis Institute in the past. And so during the first couple months of um, my term, we were approached to co-sponsor an event with the Lewis Institute um, to have Noni Darwish come and speak on our campus. So obviously we accepted that. Um, had a really great event with her, which I'll talk about more um, during the panel. And um, so this is my first conference, and I'm really excited to continue to be involved with the um, Institute going forward. So I got involved with CBLPI when I went to CPAC this year, and it was my first like political conference. So I was super excited, and I just wanted to talk to everybody I could and get involved with anything that I possibly could. So I remember I was talking to Jeannie at the CBLPI booth, and she gave me a really cute shirt that I still wear today. And she told me all about the, fe the fellowship this summer. So I had a really great time during that, and it really changed my life in so many ways. And then they helped me host a conservative speaker this fall at my school. So I'm really honored to also be back here and be back and invited to a summit and be able to speak to you guys about it. So. I attended my first CBLPI summit in uh, 2016 at the Western Women's Summit in Santa Barbara. And that's when I first uh, got to know CBLPI and all the work it does. And I was just shocked at all the conservative women at the event. And I just knew I really wanted to get involved and learn more. And so over the next year, I, I went to more summits. And I stayed in touch. And then I applied for the summer fellowship. And I, uh, I got it. And it was an incredible opportunity. And I look forward to the future with CBLPI. So all of these women are conservatives on extremely liberal campuses. So I want to know what obstacles you all face as conservative women on your campuses. So uh, an obstacle that I face really often that I think all conservative women face is that I'm always called like a traitor to my sex and a misogynist because I don't identify with feminism and I'm conservative. Uh, at Rutgers, I'm in the all-women's residential college, which is called Douglas College, and I had to take a mandatory women and gender studies class during my sophomore year. And I'm always willing to have my views challenged, and I love debates, but the attacks were so bad, it came to a point where a girl like screamed at me in the middle of class and told me that I didn't belong in the class or in Douglas College because I said that I wasn't a feminist. And that's what they say to my face. I'm sure that they say worse things behind my back. But it's one thing to have my views criticized and to participate in debates, but it's a much greater problem and it's very stunning when I'm told that I don't belong at my university or in the classroom because I'm conservative. Yeah, so obviously being a conservative just as a whole is obviously extremely difficult on a college campus um, and is an obstacle in itself. But on top of that, being a conservative woman is near impossible. Um, you have to have extremely thick skin, as I'm sure all of you know in the audience. 
Um, and it comes in the form of accusations and assumptions. So in terms of assumptions, people say, not only are you misguided politically, but also, like you said, you're a traitor to your sex. People say, how can you be a Republican or a conservative when Trump says X, Y, and Z about women? How can you not fight against the war on women and actually propagate it? Um, so it comes in the form of people just misunderstanding what the conservative movement actually stands for. And then it also comes in the form of them just not even caring about trying to understand it and just coming at you with these accusations. One of the biggest obstacles for me to overcome this, or during my freshman year was that since my school is so small, it's only about 1,800 people, it's more so like a high school than it is a college. And I definitely felt the remnants of that. It was a lot like a high school drama is kind of what I would describe it as. So I had a lot of friends first semester. And then once I started a conservative organization second semester, because I felt like there weren't a lot of opportunities for uh, conservatives to get involved, I lost a lot of those friends. And that was one of the biggest things that really hit me hard, because I saw these people every single day. And just to see their face and realize that they didn't like me anymore just because I started a conservative organization. That was just something I really wasn't ready to deal with. And I almost transferred schools. I was actually enrolled at Auburn for a couple months until I decided to go back to Sewanee. And CBLPI really empowered me to be able to go back there and to keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, going off of what they've said, um, I feel that as a conservative on my campus, your beliefs are always questioned and they think you're just making stuff up. So it's always important for a conservative that you have to have the facts and you have to be able to back it up because people are always going to disparage your views and um, say that like you're not intelligent, you don't know what you're talking about. So I feel like that's the biggest obstacle I face. So all of you have been involved with us with either bringing a speaker to campus, you are our fellows, or you started a loose organization on your campus. So I wanna know what obstacles you've had in trying to either form a conservative <laughs> organization or bring a CBLPI speaker to your campus. And if you see those obstacles more from the administration at your school or from the student body. So um, there are a lot of obstacles from the administration with my conservative club. Um, a, a lack of funding is a big problem because students always want to host big name speakers, but it becomes an issue when my club only gets like $1,000 a semester, which is considered a lot for us. And I don't know if liberal groups get more money for, than us, but I know that there's less of a need to host them because they're, uh, there's less of a need for them to host speakers because their views are already supported by the majority of the campus community. And so that's the administrative side, but there are a lot of obstacles from um, other students. I'll give an example of um, how I was harassed at school. So I was invited to go on Fox and Friends over the summer to talk about um, the mandatory microaggression program that Rutgers has all incoming students do. Uh, incoming students are forced to pay a fee for the freshman orientation, and they're also forced to go to a mandatory microaggression session where they're told to never use microaggressions and to never, you know, ask people where they're from because that's offensive and that'll offend people. And I face a lot of backlash from students because I criticized it on Fox News. Um, I've been accused of being a liar, which isn't true. I was completely honest about my experience. And, you know, I was accused of being an intolerant white person because I didn't believe in microaggressions. And um, a Rutgers employee on Twitter even threatened to physically fight me. And I've also received a lot of harassment from students, so it's rough. Yeah, it's very similar at Georgetown in that it's um, definitely from the administration as well as the student body. 
So Georgetown's Jesuit, um, so you'd think that it would be a little easier to be conservative there, but that's just not the case. Um, we are actually ranked top five in the country by fire worst free speech schools, so that's great. Um, something we're really proud of on our campus tours. Um, so just on the administrative level, um, there are a lot of bureaucratic rules that are put in place that make it very difficult to bring a speaker who's deemed controversial, which is basically any conservative speaker you bring to campus. So the first is that for any controversial speaker, we have to pay for extreme police presence, and that comes out of our student fund for whatever organization you have. So for college Republicans, not only do we have a significantly smaller budget than the college Democrats, um, just to go into figures, we were allocated $700 for an entire semester, um, which I appealed and we were given about 1,200. The college Democrats get close to 3,000. And although the Student Activities Commission who allocates this money um, claims in their constitution that the money is allocated depending on programming solely, uh, their argument for me when I went to appeal it was that, oh, it actually matters how many members you have, and obviously they're more active college Democrats and college Republicans. So despite their constitution claiming it was programming, they had um, a very different argument, which was interesting. Um, moreover, if you're hosting an official event um, through your organization, you have to always have a protest zone, um, which means that basically there are only, there's only one free speech area on Georgetown's campus, which is um, kind of interestingly called Red Square. And um, it's this little courtyard um, close to the student, one of the academic buildings, and it means that you're very limited when you're choosing a space on campus to hold an event because you have to make sure that the leftists who are going to come and protest that event have somewhere to do it. Um, so it gets a bit ridiculous. And moreover, being approved um, by the student group, the one that um, allocates your funding, is also very difficult because when you're bringing a controversial speaker, it has to pass through them and they have to say that they think it's gonna be positive to bring that speaker. And obviously, as you can imagine, the student group, like most student governments on college campuses, is comprised of mostly liberal students. And um, on the student body level, obviously, we have very active leftist groups, um, maybe because we have a Jesuit administration that tries to um, sometimes shut down like pro-choice movements um, so I think they're more active because of that. And I don't know if it's similar on your campuses, but I think I'd say like 99% of the leftist groups at Georgetown literally have written in their constitution that they refuse to be open to dialogue. So even though um, I've tried to say to our um, you know, Students for Justice in Palestine or other groups that we traditionally disagree with, um, let's sit down and have a round table, let's debate. They say, oh, well, just read our constitution. We actually aren't open to that which is really sad on a college campus. Um, and so just really quickly, I'm gonna circle back and talk about the event that we hosted with the Luce Institute. Um, so we brought Noni Darwish to speak, which was actually a really great event. We had her come and talk about why she, as you all heard, converted from Islam to Christianity because she was subjugated under Sharia law. And as soon as we put out our marketing materials, um, I was hit with upward of 50 emails from the Muslim Students Association, um, some members of the administration saying, well, she has no right to talk about that because she has no academic background. You know, she didn't study the Quran in some Ivy League university. And I said, I find it extremely ridiculous that someone who's actually lived under Sharia law and experienced the hardship, you're telling me that she has no right to come and speak. It just was very upsetting for me. So that was from the administration, um, from the students, telling us that we're, you know, we're bigots, we're Islamophobic, um, every single you know, slur they'll throw at you. And moreover, um, something that we always see is the attempt to distinguish between free speech and hate speech. Um, basically, hate speech is defined as anything they disagree with. Um, so that was what we, fa um, we fa faced. We had all of our flyers taken down on campus. Um, we had, they had actually hosted a counter event. So 
Um, instead of coming and challenging the speaker, which we wanted them to do, we were saying, you know, we're having Q&A, please come and challenge her for, you know, campus dialogue. Um, instead, they just hosted their own event and didn't even bother showing up. So that was frustrating, um, and we actually had a board member resign because of it, um, which I think was a blessing in disguise, because he, I don't think, was conservative to begin with. Um, so he resigned, and he actually wrote an op-ed about how um, my leadership was bigoted and how he didn't think I was conservative, um, which was fun. Um, but anyway, so he resigned, and it was just kind of a PR disaster for us. But at the end of the day, we turned around and said, you know, we're advocates for free speech. If you don't believe in free speech, then you probably shouldn't be at college to begin with. Oh gosh, that was a good one. Sorry, that was long. <laughs> uh, so I have a couple examples of the things that I went through based for, or at my school in starting a conservative organization and also hosting a speaker. So like the previous two panelists here, I also had funding or I also had funding problems and the university still hasn't gotten back to me with it. We apparently, apparently, like they still are really unsure about how they even go through this whole process. They're really bad with communicating to us about it. So apparently we have panels that we have to go before in each October of every year and if you miss the date, then you don't get to get funding for that year. So. The issue I had with this as well was that I proposed to the university that I had a free speaker that would come speak at my, or come speak at the school for the organization. And what I was told by the politics department, the entire department nonetheless, they said that any conservative that wasn't in office or had run for office would be too controversial and it wouldn't get approved by the university. So that kind of put a, put a damper on how I felt about activism for a while. But Again, during the summer, during the fellowship, I had a lot of help with organizing Christina Hoff Summers to come speak at my school. So the first thing that I want to point out about that was they tried to charge me $200 to bring microphones to the room, which is just kind of stupid because every other classroom basically has all the technology that you need, and they just consistently emailed me. They're like, you know, we need the credit card, we need this, we need you guys to pay for this and that, and it just didn't make any sense. But then, in addition to that, the Sewanee Women's Center, which kind of dominates our social scene with a lot of your uh, rape culture, uh, wage gap, all, all those kind of feminist myths, they wound up putting on a counter panel immediately following our event, and that thus meant they were going to use all of our hard work all of our hard work in setting up our chairs and all the tech things, they were just gonna use it afterwards. And they wanted to focus their panel about alternative factual feminism, really being equity feminism. They made all these shirts that said feminist on the front with 10 lines about why equity feminism was super important for being inclusive and for safety reasons. So once the university found out they were hosting this counter panel, that's when they decided to make the microphones free. So I, I did not think that that was a coincidence, but it wound, it wound up working out for us. So I'm, I'm really happy that CBLPI was able to help me do that. And I hope we can host another one without so much bureaucratic red tape going through the university. At UW-Madison, I've found that conservative groups face bias from both the administration and uh, in the classroom. Uh, for example, conservative, uh, the conservative chapter I'm a part of, we've faced from the administration where they will make up rules last minute to try to stop our events. Um, this past week, uh, my conservative group hosted Katie Pavlich with my chair, Abby, who's the chair of the group. Uh, the administration actually created this new rule or said, well, this rule's on the book, on the books, but we just haven't enforced it, that you can't let the public come to uh, your lecture unless you have a a, lecture, um, a professor sponsor it. Well, there's not many conservative professors at UW-Madison who would sponsor us. So last minute, 
we have to find this sponsor to host Katie Pavlich. So that's just one example we've had. And then in the classroom, I found that professors openly will talk badly about conservative values or conservative groups on campus, and so we're always facing backlash. And as you may know, I just started the Loose Society at UW-Madison, and it actually took me four weeks to get approval from our approval group at UW-Madison. And they kept coming back and saying, no, we're, re we're rejecting your application to become a group on campus because your constitution, we don't like it. It's The wording's wrong, the wording's off. Uh, it's not inclusive. And basically, I was following the rules, but I was talking about our namesake, Claire Booth Luce. Um, I was promoting that, I was con promoting conservative values, and they kept constantly making me change it. And so, after about four, uh, three tries, I finally said, how about we set up a meeting and you tell me why this is wrong? And so, when I finally went and met with them, they decided that my constitution was fine, my name was fine, and that they were going to go ahead and approve my group. So really we see bias in every aspect of the university, and it's really just about standing up for your beliefs and fighting back. So now that you've talked about some of the challenges that you all face at your schools, how, uh, what are some ways that you cope with that and cope with the um, liberal orthodoxy that you experience on your campuses? I found that it's very important to have a conservative network. So when I faced backlash on my campus, I constantly sought advice and validation from my conservative friends that I know through CBLPI and other conservative organizations. Um, my advice to you uh, conservative students would be that if conservatism is important to you, you should make conservative friends come to conservative conferences like this one and possibly like work conservative jobs. It doesn't need to consume your life, but I found it absolutely impossible to cope with the liberal orthodoxy at Rutgers without reaching out to my club members or to my CBLPI friends. And it's really easy to question yourself when everyone at college tells you every day that you're wrong, even if they're wrong. So uh, it helps to have people to fall back on. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think it just starts with just having a thick skin. I think unlike the left that often just tries to make itself um, out to be a victim, um, snowflakes, we need to not do that. We need to say, you know, yeah, most people disagree with us on the college campus, but we hold true to our beliefs. We're going to fight for what we believe in. And like you said, it's really important to have that cohesive conservative network, which I think the Luce Institute really helps us build so that we can seek advice from people on other college campuses or from our own college campus and say, you know, we're not going to be victims, but obviously this is going to be a hard fight. So what are the best tactics that we can use? What's the best way that we can engage in dialogue and kind of propagate the message that we see is best for this country? And so I think having a thick skin and having that cohesive um, conservative network is extremely important. And something else that I've um, started through my, ch my conservative chapter at Georgetown is that we have a policy where we will never disinvite a speaker. And I think that's extremely important because we see far too often at college campuses that a conservative you know, controversial speaker is coming and because of the backlash from the student body that um, speaker is disinvited. And I think that's just giving power to the left and saying, you know, if you protest and come out and whine about the speaker, we'll cancel it. And I think that's so wrong. So I think it's extremely important um, for you with your groups to also um, start that policy and say, we're never going to disinvite and we're going to hold true to what we believe is right and continue to advocate for free speech regardless of the backlash. So I thought my school would be really, really conservative coming from a liberal family in the liberal state of New Jersey. I was like, you know, rural, ten rural Tennessee, it's gonna be such a conservative school and I wouldn't have to deal with all the things that we're seeing on the news, but that was just not the case. So like I said before, I almost transferred schools for this reason, but I kind of just had to 
come to the conclusion that these things exist everywhere, and if you try to escape it, it's just going to follow you, and you're, that's, that's how the left wins. They're going to beat you down that way, and you need to stand up for yourself and be able to just say, you know, like you said, with having thick skin, it's kind of just developing that and being able to realize that if people don't like you for simply what you believe, then you don't want those people in your life anyway. So in addition to that, when I hosted Christine Hoff Summers, which I just mentioned, when the room was so full that people were literally out the door and sitting all over the floor so there wasn't people, there wasn't room to walk around, that was one of the most rewarding things I've ever experienced because I was worried that people wouldn't show up because they were too, too scared of it from what the uh, factual feminists at the Women's Center were really telling us. But that was just, I can't emphasize enough how rewarding that really was. And I think everybody here should be able to do that. It was so awesome. So the more that you put into the activism and speaking of about conservative values, the, that's, the more you're gonna get back. I would have to agree with the other panelists. I think it's so important to be strong and just stand up for your beliefs on campus. And I also think it's very important to have a strong network of friends or just people who are involved in conservatism on campus and have a mentor and someone who can help you when you face these challenges. And how has CBLPI helped shape you as a conservative? So going to conferences like this one has given me the opportunity to both hear from amazing speakers and meet people my age who share my values. Like Kelly, I'm also from New Jersey, so it's amazing to like be in a room filled with conservative women because I've never experienced that before. And uh, participating at the, in the summer fellowship at CBLPI gave me an opportunity to see what it's like to work in the conservative movement, which I found very valuable. And I highly recommend that people apply if they're interested in that. And I also had the opportunity to develop my public speaking skills. And I introduced uh, Kellyanne Conway at one of our summits before she began managing Trump's campaign. And the media training also really helped for my Fox News appearance. And CBLPI has also given me the opportunity to uh, host Christina Hoff Summers, which I will do um, in December, so I'm excited to do that too. I think the most important thing is just bringing an alternative point of view to your college campus, and the amazing list of speakers that this institute has is really, really unique. Um, I also think that the fact that this is a conservative women's organization is really special and something that I've never experienced. This is, like I said, my first conference. And I mean, even just these past couple of days, being able to have a network to all of you is something that I'm going to leave with and honestly never forget. And I hope I can stay in touch with you. Um, and I think it's something just really special and something that helps you grow as a conservative leader and a conservative female leader. And I also think just... Um, being able to, I mean, this is all about courage, I think, learning um, to fight for your beliefs regardless of what people say and having this network um, and these speakers to come and come to your campus and engage in this dialogue is something that really we don't get from any other organization. So looking back on this last summer, I really saw myself grow from a just beginning out as an activist, as a freshman in college, to where I am now. And CBLPI has just given me so many opportunities there to thank for where I am today. And I just, I can't wait to continue going with that in the future, just because I see so much growth and opportunity with the organization. And then in addition to that, I thought it was super special. Again, I'm gonna talk about hosting the lecture. That really shaped me as a conservative because I feel so much more empowered and prepared for the real world, having been able to go through navigating the process of hosting an event and 
making sure it was successful and making sure people came out to it. And that's just something you don't learn in the classroom. And then in addition, I'm also going to reference the uh, importance of having this conservative network. I have my best friends in this room, and it's so amazing. I love seeing you guys all the time, and I think that's so special because sometimes you can get super discouraged when you're at school and you're not amongst any conservative friends. You can't really... I, I, I feel like I have to monitor some of the things that I say sometimes around people at school. So I just I love to be here with all of you guys. So I hope you guys feel the same way. So I'm part of the group that Rachel Semmel uh, talked about that would rather get bitten by a shark than do public speaking. <laughs> and I feel like CBLPI has really given me the confidence and skills to be able to even be up here and talk about my beliefs in front of conservative women, but also go back to my campus and spread conservatism there, and it's a very liberal place. So I feel like CBLPI has really shaped me into a more confident and ready person to succeed in life, and I'm just very grateful. And I was a recent summer fellow, so I not only learned uh, public speaking skills, but I also learned how to research and write op-eds and just do so much more and connect with others. So we're gonna, this is our last question, and I'm gonna end on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, I want to know if you all have any funny stories from activism on your campus. Well, when I was a conservative columnist for the school newspaper at Rutgers, I wrote an article about why Rutgers should honor Milton Friedman more and noted that Rutgers has a ton of things named after Paul Robeson, who was a Stalinist. So both Milton Friedman and Paul Robeson were uh, students at Rutgers, but Milton Friedman has nothing on campus and there are like 10 things named after Paul Robeson. And a member of the communist group on campus, who were literal communists, they weren't liberals or Democrats, this is literally a communist club at Rutgers, wrote an op-ed in response that was literally just an ad hominem attack on me. Uh, she began it with, the, the school newspaper at Rutgers is called the Daily Targum. She began it with, Andrew Vasciano must think that the Targum readership is stupid which in her defense is true. <laughs> and she accused me of being an agent of the rich and of spreading Cold War propaganda by saying that Stalinism is bad. And an actual quote from the article was, the kind of freedom Vashiano supports is the freedom to oppress, exploit, and enslave millions, uh, hundreds of millions across the globe. And I have a copy of the article on my desk because it always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so at Georgetown, our LGBTQ pride group um, always has a coming out day in our famous Red Square. Um, so they put up a like door frame and they have all of their members come out and walk through the door frame. And it always happens to be um, when our college Republicans group is tabling. So um, for the past two years, since freshman year, I've had the wonderful experience of sitting behind our college Republicans banner and seeing them all parade in their tiaras and tutus in front of me and you know pull faces at me and think that I'm so offended and triggered by what they're doing. So this year I said enough's enough and we took out our own door frame and we had a conservative coming out day because <laughs> at Georgetown um, our demographic is actually more conservative than you'd think and more than we can see um, because I think a lot of people are just scared to come out um, or you know, aren't politically engaged even though we're in DC, which really bothers me. Um, so although they come from conservative families, a lot of them are Catholics, they haven't been active in the past. So this year, we actually had an unprecedented number of signups and some of these people decided to come out as conservatives um, and it was a lot of fun and you should have seen the looks on the face of the LGBTQ people who were coming out. Um, they were extremely triggered and were acting at the most part of their snowflake identity. 
All right. Well, do you guys know the uh, coexist stickers that have the uh, all the like the religious symbols on them? So at the activities fair this year, at the end of August, I was tabling for my organization, and then the whole women's center, all of the democratic socialists were right next to us. We had more people at ours, just, just to throw that out there. So somebody walked over with a huge, or with a feminist shirt on, and she came over and she just kept asking me, like, where are the coexist stickers? Because we had the ones that had uh, coexist written in all the guns. I'm sure you're familiar with those ones. So she didn't know that we were having, or that we had them there. She thought I was going to point her in the direction of the other ones. So I just started giving her like all the different sizes of them and I gave her a bumper sticker that had it and she was like, oh, like thank you, like this is what I was looking for. And she had no idea that I was giving her the conservative one. So I got a kick out of that. Um, I don't think my story is very funny, just kind of horrifying. Last, <laughs> last year, my conservative group hosted Ben Shapiro and Halfway, about maybe five minutes into our lecture, we had students stand up and start shouting at him that he was a Nazi, but they failed to realize that he's actually Jewish, and uh, they stood up and walked in front of the stage and started shouting at our audience uh, that we were neo-Nazis and all of this stuff, and so it's just kind of scary, the lack of education people have uh, regarding conservatives. Well, thank you, ladies. I think they deserve a great round of applause. <laughs> and we have, a, we have time for a few questions, if any of you all have any. We'll be walking around with the mics. What have you guys found is the best way to advertise an event that you have? So I can start. So at Georgetown, um, everyone has the mentality, I'm sure you guys have it at your schools, that everyone's always too busy to come out to an event. Um, the other issue we have is that since it's DC, people have a lot of access to these speakers. So I think people are a little bit selfish in that respect. So what we usually do is, you know, we do the regular Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but then we also um, go to professors and try and have them the few conservative professors we have, we say to them, you know, can you give extra credit for someone if they come out to this lecture? Or can you like assign a paper where they can come and disagree with this lecture or challenge the views of this lecture? So that's usually something that's helpful because you know everyone cares about their GPAs. Um, so if they get extra credit, they'll come out. Also just um, reaching out to departments if there's a topic you have that's policy oriented and it has anything to do with any department at your school, if you can have their like official school email go out so that you like hit every student who's you know under that major. Um, that's something that's useful. And then also just flyering. I mean, I understand that a lot of the time our flyers get taken down, but have extra ones printed so you can put them right back up and use super strong tape so that it's really awkward when they try and take it down. You can catch them and take Snapchat stories. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna add on to that and say that uh, it's really useful to be provocative in, in advertising your events. And because liberal students like have no idea about like anything about conservatism, they get really riled up when they hear that a conservative is coming to campus. So um, acting upon that, I find, is uh, very successful. Hi, um, I'm a freshman, so I'm just kind of like getting started, getting involved. So I had a question about how, um, for conservative women, what would you suggest like doing over the summer? Or like, how do you get involved like with internships or things like that? 
So I'll answer that first. I think it's really helpful to come to conferences like this one and to, um, through these conferences, you get to meet other conservative women, you get to learn about uh, different internships. And so I think that sticking towards coming to conferences like this and you know being really active in your club and doing a lot of things uh, really impresses people. And I think that um, being a student activists in college has a lot of value and you gain a lot of experience from it. So I think just like sticking to your guns and doing it is really helpful. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Also, just put yourself on the email lists of conservative think tanks because they always send out, you know, blasts about internships they have. Also, there's a lot of LinkedIn groups you can join um, that are conservative and they'll um, share whatever internships are available. Also, I guess I have an advantage because I'm in D.C., so I can intern you know, on the Hill during the semester, but highly recommend doing that. Um, it's a great way to get your foot in the door and then just build that network because you can even just set up, you know, if you're working in one senator's office, but you want to just build your network of other conservatives, even just staffers, you can just set up coffee chats, and that's just an amazing thing to do just to kind of get your name out there. So I'd highly recommend that if you have the opportunity. Do you all have any comments? Oh, okay. Um, well, like I mentioned before, Going to CPAC really opened my eyes to the whole conservative movement, and I had no idea that so many organizations existed. I was in heaven. I was like, wow, but there are so many <laughs> different opportunities that I can get to. So I remember just walking around all the booths for literally like three or four hours, just talking to as many people as I could because I was so interested in it. So that's when I found out about CBLPI, but I would definitely recommend going to something like that. And it's awesome that you're already here because last year I didn't even start looking for things until second semester because I was so discouraged at my school. But I think it would be really good for you to start doing that now, which you obviously are. So just talk to people, like just talk their ear off. That's my advice and it's worked for me. So thus far. <laughs> I think uh, conservative conferences are very important, but I also think as a freshman on campus, it's important to get involved and you could go to your CR group or your YAF chapter or whatever you have on campus and they can really lead you in the right direction of what kind of internship you're looking for. Any other questions from you all? No, well, let's give it up for our panelists. They're all awesome.